Welcome to Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Sophia Osborne. And I'm Olivia DeBercier. And if you want to support the show, you can join our Patreon to receive a monthly sticker and print in the mail from Olivia. Yeah, so it is our 150th episode today. So that's kind of amazing. Congratulations, Sophia. It is a big moment for us. Yeah, congratulations to you too. It just really snuck up on us. And then we were like, wait, we have to do something exciting for the 150th (laughs) episode. I can't believe it. Yeah, it's been over three years of doing this podcast. We're approaching our undergrad in podcasting. That's true. (laughs) We're juniors. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. What would that be called? A bachelor B of P? Bachelor of podcasting? (laughs) A B-pod. B-pod. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, we did just want to say thank you all so much for being with us here, whether you've been here all three years or you're a newer listener or if you're a patron or not. Like, we we just really, really appreciate you all so much. And this has just been such a fun three years and a fun 150 episodes. Yeah. And like, just to give you an idea into our process, like Sophia and I do this ourselves. Uh, It's just the two of us, plus Max, who makes the music. Thanks, Max. (laughs) But like, uh, Sophia does all the editing and all of the like social media management. And I do the, well, for most episodes anyway, I do like the research and the writing most of it up and then the illustrations. So it's it, it's a lot of work, but it's wonderful to do and we've really enjoyed it. And yeah, it's it's just been so great meeting people who listen and to, to speak to different experts on just like really fun stuff. So I, it's just been such a joy over the past three years to be doing this. And I'm so proud of us for getting to 150 episodes. Me too. I can really say, I think, like, for both of us, this is really the highlight of our week. And Mm -hmm. it's really made us realize what we want to do with our careers. So big stuff is definitely coming. We're we're really excited. And yeah, thank you all for coming on this journey with us, like, as we started the store and now the Patreon and just getting to do more and more in this realm. It's really, it's really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's such a privilege to get to do it. And yeah, I'm excited to bring us a really big animal for our big anniversary. Yeah, a big celebration with the <laughs> T-Rex. That's right, the T-Rex. So I've been saving this one. I've really been hoarding this dinosaur. I just didn't want to talk about it. I was like, this is going to make a really good <laughs> anniversary creature and yeah so I I went to library I got a pile of books and you know when I get a pile of books from library and I can barely walk it's gonna be a good episode (laughs) or maybe just way too much information I'm not really sure in my mind I'm like it's gonna be a good episode but maybe the listeners are like oh no oh dear she mentioned the books (laughs) I think it'll be great because i if if listeners are like me I feel like I know things about t-rex because they're so iconic But when I actually think about it, I don't really know anything about them. Yeah. And there's a lot to know. Like researching this, I was just like, oh my gosh, there's so much. Like normally with dinosaurs, I mean, I think one of the reasons I talk so much about the history of how they were discovered and a big reason why really that's a lot of what you find when you start researching a dinosaur is because we don't know a lot about the dinosaur itself or can't really say with certainty all that much about it. A lot of it is 
debated or I mean, we can really never know for sure. But like a lot of it's very debated. Sometimes it's like kind of like a best guess, but it's kind of a general piece of information on a dinosaur. But yeah, when it comes to T-Rex, like we have a lot of research on it. There's a lot of fossils and some of them are really complete. And then there's also a lot of drama. There's a lot of history there. Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm very excited to get into it. First, though, we have to check in with Blathers, of course. So if you bring a T-Rex fossil to Blathers, he'll say, I'd say the T-Rex is the 800-pound gorilla of the dinosaur world, but it likely weighed well over nine tons. This fearsome chap is practically synonymous with the word dinosaur, and for good reason. At up to 42 feet long with, with banana-sized teeth, it was one of the largest carnivores ever to walk the earth. It's unclear how fast T-Rex was, since estimates vary wildly. I am just relieved I will never have to escape one. Who? Oh, yeah. I always think of that. Yeah. Like, I like to just, like, stare out of my window and imagine a giant dinosaur there. And imagining <laughs> a T-Rex, I'm like, oh, yeah. That would be very exciting, but not great overall. A little scary. Yeah, a little spooky. He's definitely right that they are synonymous with the word dinosaur. Oh, totally. It's what everyone thinks of when they think of a dinosaur. Like... Even me, I'm like, I, I know a lot of dinosaurs, but that is the image that comes to mind. They're just so, you know, iconic. And what's kind of cool is I think they are probably the most well-known Latin name of any creature because you can ask any kid what T-Rex stands for and they'll probably know that it's Tyrannosaurus Rex. And like, it's kind of funny too, because like often in science, we'll shorten a Latin name to just like the first letter so in this case, it would be T dot Rex. So if you wanted to spell it the proper way when you're writing like T-Rex, put that lowercase r and the little dot instead of the dash. Just a little tip. Right. Right. So Tyrannosaurus is the genus name and Rex is the species name. Yeah, that's right. And like, I think it's super easy to forget that this that's a Latin name, uh, not a common name because it just slides really nicely off the tongue. I feel like it's very fitting for what it is. And yeah, I want to talk about like Tyrannosaurus Rex's impact on our culture. And I mean, Tyrannosaurus Rex really was, I think, immortalized in Jurassic Park in a very specific way. I was recently watching Jurassic Park and I'm just kind of amazed at how good of a movie it is just from the storytelling perspective. Like it's such an efficient and like effective story. And I think T-Rex is almost like this character in that is just, it's just so good. I, I, I don't even know how to express it properly. Like it's such a good horror element in the way that they set up like the goat that they're feeding to the T-Rex. And then later the goat like falls onto the car window during the storm. And then it just like appears above. Like I think it's such a good, like I don't think an actual animal would necessarily behave like that. But I think as far as like animals and films go, that moment when the T-Rex just sort of appears feels very real. And like this whole like, you know, the dinosaur is just eaten, but it's still hungry for more. Like, it's just so, it's such a creepy thing. Yeah. And of course, that scene with it chasing the car and you can see it in the rearview mirror. That's just amazing. Like, just genius. And then even like in Jurassic World at the very end when you know, the Indominus Rex, which is like the dinosaur that the humans create, even that isn't strong enough to defeat T-Rex. It really adds to this idea of an animal that's so terrifying and impenetrable 
and is really just like the top of the food chain, even above humans. And it all like builds to this idea that this is a dinosaur, a creature that could only have been destroyed by one thing. And that was the asteroid that wiped out the non-avian dinosaurs. Because really, like, T-Rex existed more closely in time to us than the evolution of dinosaurs as a group. It, it was the great asteroid that that killed it. Yeah, like you were saying at the beginning of the episode, it, it definitely makes you think about what would things have been like without that asteroid. And yeah, what would happen if you could look out your window and see a T-Rex? They definitely hold so much cultural imagination for us. Yeah. I mean, if I'm being really cynical, like, I don't think even if the asteroid hadn't killed all of the non-avian dinosaurs and we still had like big things like T-Rex. I like kind of don't think they would still be around just because of like we had some really big megafauna when humans started to like become a dominant species and like they're not here anymore either. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe that's like really cynical of me, but like I'm not convinced that they would still be here even then. But I don't know, maybe we'd have cool little raptors and stuff running around. T-Rex would be a lot of meat. It would. Like, that would be a pretty good catch. (laughs) But, like, I also want to mention its image has changed a lot over the years. And maybe in more subtle ways than other dinosaurs we've talked about, like Iguanodon. Tyrannosaurus rex was named relatively early in the history of paleontology, kind of around 1900. And so at the time, it was seen as this very upright standing dinosaur with the tail dragging and, you know, jumping forward to Jurassic Park. And at this point in time, you know, 90s, the public was really seeing the Tyrannosaurus Rex as this imposing, muscular, but also very bony and scaly creature with beady eyes. Like it had, if you look at the old representations, like it kind of looks like the skin is just like really tight against its bones. Like it's both muscular, but also starving. <laughs> yeah, and so totally. that's very much the image you get of it. And of course it has these like huge dagger teeth, like in, that you can see like every single tooth really well, even with its mouth closed. And now, I mean, with prehistoric planet, we've got this very modern image of a T-Rex and it's much more bulky, like it's a rounder shape and it has these very full lips. Like you don't really see those dagger teeth sticking out quite as much. So, you know, I don't think this makes Tyrannosaurus less imposing, but it does kind of make it scarier in my mind because it feels much more like a real animal that existed and could still kill you, you know, like yeah Um, I find that scarier you know less like a dragon from mythology and more like a real predator that could exist today of course T-Rex has also developed this more cartoonish or almost corporate image like you really don't have to go far to see its image in ads or toys or product names one of my favorite really kind of tacky but fun appearances of the T-Rex is the giant green and this sort of sickly yellow dinosaur in Drumheller. And if you haven't been to Drumheller, Alberta, the home of the famous Royal Tybell Museum of Paleontology, this T-Rex is basically the tallest structure in town, which isn't saying much because Drumheller is quite small. (laughs) I googled it said 25 meters or 86 feet tall. And I remember as a kid, like you could 
And I, I guess you still can walk to the top of the T-Rex and like look out its mouth. And it's a bit freaky because it kind of feels like the whole structure is made out of paper mache. <laughs> so, you know, walk to the top of the world's largest dinosaur and, you know, you get that like kind of feeling of being scared. Like if you were in, in an actual T-Rex. Yeah, I've I've seen it so many times. This is making me realize that I haven't walked up it, but I guess next time I'm there, I'll have to I'll have to go up. Yeah, you'll have to. I haven't done it since I was a kid either. I think I'm usually in kind of a rush when I'm in Drumheller. It's got like weird small town hours. So um, yeah, <laughs> I feel like usually it's closed or something. So yeah, we've talked about T-Rex and pop culture. You know, it's this big celebrity. And like many other celebrities, it has a very juicy, complicated past. And so I want to go into the story of its discovery. But first, I should probably touch on what exactly a T-Rex is. So Tyrannosaurus is pretty closely related to today's birds as far as dinosaurs go, because like birds, it's part of a special group of hollow-boned creatures called theropods. And as far as the long family tree of dinosaurs go, Tyrannosaurus appeared on the scene pretty close to the extinction of the non-avian dinosaurs. So, you know, it's this recent development, relatively close to birds. Other extinct theropods include the Velociraptor, Oviraptor, Spinosaurus, Carnosaurus, and of course, many others. Tyrannosaurus is a genus that belongs to the family Tyrannosauridae. And within this group of the Tyrannosauridae, we have T-Rex's cousins, And don't worry too much if you don't recognize these names. I'm just sort of mentioning them in case they ring a bell. But some of these sort of cousins of Tyrannosaurus include Albertosaurus and Gorgosaurus, as well as more closely related, we have Nanooksaurus, which was this very cold weather dwelling Tyrannosaur, which is really cool. There was also Displetosaurus. And of course, I can't forget to mention there's T-Rex's closest relative, Tarbosaurus. And the story of Tarbosaurus is also very fascinating. If you would like a book recommendation, I suggest the book The Dinosaur Artist by Paige Williams. It's a true story about the amazing Mongolian history of paleontology, as well as dinosaur smuggling. It involves a big court case around an illegally imported Tarbosaurus batar. It's not exactly a beach read. It it can get a little bit dense at times. But if you like dinosaurs and dinosaur history, it's very interesting. All of these tyrannosaurids look pretty similar. They all have that large head, the sort of slightly upright body, but still, you know, relatively horizontal to the ground, smaller arms, and the large teeth supporting their carnivorous lifestyle. But Tyrannosaurus seems to have been really the biggest out of all of them, as far as we can tell. Do you think that's why Tyrannosaurus has become the most famous? I I haven't really heard of any of its relatives besides Albertosaurus. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Like whenever I'm watching dinosaur things or like reading about dinosaurs, anytime they mention like Gorgosaurus or Albertosaurus, they have to follow it up. Like it's as though there's some like unwritten rule that you have to say Gorgosaurus, a relative of the Tyrannosaur or a lookalike to the Tyrannosaur. Like they have to put that in there. Or if they say theropod, they have to define it by T-Rex. And I think that's so interesting. I think part of it is the history and the fact that it's so big. I also wonder, and I don't have anything to back this up because I haven't looked into this, but I wonder if maybe we've just found more like fuller skeletons of them perhaps. It's also worth mentioning there's probably some, you know, real like American centrism because Tyrannosaurus is this North American species 
like, for example, Tarbosaurus batar is found in Mongolia. So it's possible there's also that, like, focus on American specimens in the States. And they have such a powerful culture that it really, like, proliferates throughout the rest of the world. And paleontology is pretty big there. So that might also have something to right. do with it. Yeah. Yeah. And so could you tell us the, the discovery story for Tyrannosaurus Rex? Yeah. So... The very first bits, I'll call them, of a Tyrannosaurid in North America, or at least the ones that were identified by the Western scientific community, they were some teeth that were found by the explorer Ferdinand Hayden, and he was a pretty famous explorer at the time. And it was decided that they belonged to a creature they called Dinodon horridus, or horrifying terrible tooth. Uh, I like that <laughs> name because I guess when teeth is all you have, you just have to like just make a bunch of adjectives and then put the word tooth in there. <laughs> so yeah, they found horrifying, terrible tooth, but it's actually likely because, you know, they named it and then proceeded not to find a like actual skeleton. But now that they found Gorgosaurus, which was already named, they like matched up the teeth and they're like, oh, this is Gorgosaurus, but like no remain. Like the naming is complicated. I'll just say that. But that was the first time we were like, <laughs> hey, maybe there's like this big carnivore around. Also, both Marsh and Cope, who were the great paleontological rivals of the Bone Wars, both let T-Rex slip through their fingers. So a clue to the existence of T-Rex was found in 1874 when a teacher in Colorado found one of its teeth. And then the specimen was sent to Marsh and he didn't describe it. And then again in the 1890s, Cope found some pieces of vertebrae that he thought were triceratops. And at least one was later revealed to be T-Rex. And I think the other was lost or something, so we weren't able to prove it. But it seems like he did find some bits of T-Rex. Wow. And they just fumbled the bag. Right? I'm like, did they know? Like, I think they would have <laughs> known because they found T-Rex a little later. But I can't remember. Like, I'm not sure if they found out you know, decades and decades later that they had found it, like when someone looked back on their specimens or if they found it like you know, 20 years later. <laughs> they would have been mad, though. Yeah. You know they would have been real pissed off about that. Oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> they were, you know, fiercely trying to find every good dinosaur out there. So, oh, well, they didn't get it, but Barnum Brown did. And Barnum Brown, you know, he actually found the first two really big T-Rex finds. He was a curator and professional collector from the American Museum of Natural History. So it's 1900. And Brown, a.k.a. Mr. Bones, which I think is just a great name, was in the <laughs> lands formation of Wyoming. And I want you to imagine, like, this is the Wild West at this point. You know, 1900, Wyoming. It's like desert. It's got that doo-doo-doo sound everywhere. And they're going <laughs> far out from cities into these dry badlands to find these valuable fossils. And Mr. Bones, who is a serious scientist and respected as a fossil collector, would have been quite the sight to behold. He was known to wear like a full length fur coat on a fossil dig. So I kind of respect that. It's very weird, but wow. I like it. Yeah. It's a little like he's a fancy man. <laughs> and when he arrived at train stations, people would be really excited. They'd like wait for him. There'd be crowds. And they knew him because he would talk on the radio. He'd talk about dinosaurs and his adventures. So he was a, he was a bit of a celebrity. So Barnum Brown, he'd been sent to Wyoming by Henry Fairfield Osborne from the American Museum of Natural History. 
Osborne was an accomplished paleontologist himself. He was also the co-founder of the American Eugenic Society. So he kind of sucks, but we are going to talk about him uh, because he... I do not claim him. (laughs) Yeah, we we do not... We don't like Henry, but he is part of the story. He's not a good Osborne. No, (laughs) that's right. (laughs) Sophia is not a Sophia relative. No, I hope not. So Barnum was out there looking in the famed ceratops beds, and he was looking for triceratops to put on display at the New York Museum. And they did find some triceratops, but they also found a large carnivore. Of course, this was T-Rex, or at least it was its neck and ribs, as well as part of the skull, a right femur, among other bones. Found alongside this fossil was what at the time was believed to be a piece of the animal's skin, and it possessed osteoderms, or basically a type of armor on the skin. Now, at the time, this find wasn't actually named T-Rex. It was actually named Dunamosaurus by Osborne. And the reason he named it that was the Latin name basically refers to the osteoderm he found, which, you know, later was revealed not actually to, belo- to, to belong to the T-Rex, but I'll get to that later. Only two years later, Bartum Brown actually found his second big T-Rex in the Hell Creek Formation of Montana. And this one had 11% of its bones, according to bone count. But this was the finding that was the holotype for Tyrannosaurus rex. And when we say holotype, that means like the OG fossil, the one that gave this majestic dinosaur the name that we all know it by. Henry Fairfield Osborne was the one to name it. So basically, Barnum sent this fossil back to the museum. Osborne took a look at it and he starts to name it, but he was in a real rush. So the specimen actually wasn't fully prepared. He he kind of rushed his work because he'd heard that over at the Carnegie Museum of Natural History, a fellow by the name of Olaf Peterson had found a really big theropod the same year that Barnum Brown had in 1902. So they were kind of racing to get their publication out. But Osborne got his name in first. He was like, OK, we're going to call this T-Rex. And he looked back on his old work, that first fossil that Barnum Brown found, and he said, okay, this is also T-Rex. So he renamed it from Dunamosaurus as Tyrannosaurus rex. Much better name. I will say that those osteoderms he found, he still insisted that they must have covered the T-Rex's back and sides, but they actually belong to an ankylosaurus. So you were wrong there, Osborne. Do we know what the name Tyrannosaurus rex kind of comes from and like what it means? Yeah, it means Tyrant Lizard King. And I'm really proud of myself because I didn't write that down anywhere. I just think I know that off the top of my head. Let me see if I'm right. Saurus (laughs) Rex. (laughs) I feel like I've read that enough times. Please tell me I'm right. Am I just bragging and I'm going to be totally wrong? (laughs) Okay, well, yeah, I was right. King of the Tyrant Lizards. So I think it basically means both iconic name yeah it's a really good name i like it tyrant is a very creative name because i feel like usually they go for like terrible or awful or fearsome but tyrant that's quite dramatic yeah evocative yeah so moving on from i I think it was named in 1906 in 1908 barnum brown who was really on quite the roll here he found the biggest t-rex skeleton to date It was 143 bones, so 48% of the skeleton by bone count. And really, this find wasn't to be beat until like the 90s. So, uh, you know, this was a great find. And, you know, a lot would happen between 1908 and the 90s. 
paleontology as a field really lost fuel for quite a long time, understandably, because, you know, World War One comes around and then there's the Depression. So slightly more important things happening. No offense to paleontology. There was still some paleontology happening, but it just it was mostly in Canada or there's a lot going on in Mongolia. But, you know, the states kind of dried up a little bit. And then during World War II, actually, the American Museum of Natural History sold their T-Rex holotype because they were worried that New York would be bombed and they wanted to keep the fossil safe. It's kind of wild to like read these things because I'm like, oh, yeah, gosh, like it didn't matter what field you were in. You were really it was a real worry for everyone. Uh, Another sort of random find in the middle of this period was in 1946, there was a T-Rex found on the banks of the Red Deer River near this hamlet called Huxley. And I've been to Huxley. The T-Rex must have been kind of a big deal there because there's not a lot happening in Huxley, let me tell you. But they ended up not excavating it because it didn't seem worth it. Decades later, though, Philip Curry's team went and dug it up and it is the most northern T-Rex found to date. So it's about, I don't know, two hours south of where I am. So it's pretty far north. And then, you know, the dinosaur renaissance finally came around in the 60s. And since then, T-Rex, lots of T-Rex finds have been made all over the place, pretty much all the way down to New Mexico. So it's very much a North American species that we're finding. Yeah, a lot of finds. It used to be thought it was kind of rare, but that was mostly because people weren't looking for it. Once that renaissance happened, we found quite a few. And then we get to the 90s, and this is when the whole Sioux situation happens. Now, the story of Sioux, the T-Rex, is very complicated, it's very messy, and it's really juicy. So I'm going to tell you the story. And I hope I do it justice. I think I will say there are a lot of details in this story. There's a lot of stakeholders, too. So I will try and be careful about how I frame it, because... I think everything I read really tried to make one person the, like, hero of the story. And I'm not sure that's really fair. But you'll see what I mean as we go through. So Sue is named after the woman who found her, Susan Hendrickson. Susan has a pretty neat past. She loved to explore, was really good at finding things, and super passionate about paleontology. And, you know, at the time... When this dinosaur was found, she was both professionally and romantically involved with this man named Peter Larson. So he's a very important character here. Larson had this very long history of paleontology, and he'd actually started this company called the Black Hills Institute. They were a private institute, or maybe are. I'm not sure actually if they're still around, but at the time they were a private institute. They did a lot of fossil collecting and selling of fossils, but they were also very scientifically involved. They would often pretty much sell things at cost to scientists. So a really cool organization. And they had gotten permission to dig on the land of a rancher named Maurice Williams. I will also note that this land was on the Cheyenne River Sioux Reserve. So that will be very important to the story later. So they're digging fossils on the land of Maurice's brother, who had also given given them permission to dig on his land, when they noticed that their tire was flat. So Larson had to head back into town. He asked if Sue wanted to go with him for the 40-minute drive. And Sue didn't really want to. She instead wanted to go check out this cliff section that had been calling to her for, you know, days now when they had been digging. It just seemed really fossil-y. But it was pretty foggy. So she went with her dog and they start walking towards the cliffs. But she kept getting turned around. And after two hours of walking, she got really frustrated and she started to cry. But 
she kept going. And she said that part of the reason she was so frustrated was that she was like, oh man, I just really wanted to go to these cliffs. And she and Larson had actually just broken up. So she was just having a really rough time. It's very relatable Aww. of Sue. <laughs> like she was just <laughs> ugh, yeah. frustrated. But she kept going. She pushed on and she finally ended up ended up at the cliffs where she found Sue. Sue was sticking out of the cliffside, these really big, exciting bones. And Susan immediately was like, oh, yeah, this is going to be good. So, yeah, this was the Tyrannosaurus Rex, this incredible find. Larson, Sue, and the Black Hills Institute team, they dug her up. They only took 17 days, which is super, super fast for an excavation. Maurice Williams was there. He saw they'd found it. He struck a deal with them. So he said they basically decided that he would be paid $5,000 for them to take the skeleton. And that was their agreement. So Larson knew that the skeleton would make a perfect fit for the museum he dreamed of creating. They had started this big collection. He was like, this is going to be perfect for the museum. So once Sue was collected, fundraising operations began for the museum and Sue was being prepared. Trouble started to brew for the Black Hills Institute when an article from Rapid City Journal broke. And the article basically said that the Cheyenne River Sioux Nation claimed that the fossil had been removed from their reservation land without permission. They hadn't filed a lawsuit, but they had called for an investigation. And U.S. Attorney Kevin Scheifer was on the case. So I mention his name now so you can remember it later. Larson started to worry a little bit, but he thought someone was pulling his leg when he got a call from a friend, a curator of paleontology at the Smithsonian, who said that an FBI agent had called and asked how to properly pack up a T-Rex. So actually, that's where I'm going to leave it for today. I'm going to leave you on a cliffhanger. And next week, I will tell you the rest of the story of Sue the T-Rex. We're also going to talk about T-Rex as an animal and what we know about this animal and, you know, the amazing life that these creatures may have lived. Ooh, that's exciting. We're going to have to live with this cliffhanger for a whole week. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's a really good story. I'm excited to tell the rest of it. Yeah, I definitely heard of Sue the T-Rex, but I didn't know that there was drama there. Yeah, it's funny because I feel like she's like a famous fossil in her own right, but I didn't know that there was so much drama behind her. Yeah. Yeah, so that's episode 150, but stick around for episode 151 for the rest of the story. Yeah, shout out to listening to our 150th episode. This is so exciting. Yeah. Yeah, thank you all so much for listening for all this time. And if you want to support the show, check out our Patreon to get exclusive art in the mail from Olivia. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Tune in next week to learn more about the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. Bye. Bye. Bye.